Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I'm joined by actor and filmmaker Misha Crosby. You can follow him on Instagram at Misha Crosby, M-I-S-H-A-C-R-O-S-B-Y. He is a lifelong Arsenal supporter who grew up a stone's throw from Highbury. Thank you for coming and joining me, Misha, even in this in these turbulent circumstances. Thank you for having me, Joaquin. I, uh, I have to say, anybody who has decided to tune in today, with the result being what it was, well done. You're a better man or girl than I. I, uh, I tend to bury my head in the ground after results like this, and I do not want to hear anything Arsenal. So, again, you're a better person than me. Yes, indeed. But it wouldn't be supporting Arsenal if it wasn't a life of misery, right? I mean, this is what, this is what we signed up for. <sighs> that is true. That is true. There is a lot of pain and suffering that has come with supporting this club. Indeed. So we are recording this in the immediate aftermath, in the wake of the defeat at St. James's Park, Newcastle 2, Arsenal 0. A very, very frustrating day. We, we came into this planning hoping to be able to speak about this in terminology where going into the end of the, the last match of the season, Arsenal would be able to win their match against Everton and secure Champions League football. This is no longer the case. We are now... <laughs> Counting on the, the spursiest thing possible to happen would be for them to lose versus Norwich, but we are no longer in control. Um, just quickly, give me your, your reflections on the match, what we saw today. It's hugely disappointing on on so many levels. You know, we worked so hard to to put ourselves in a position to to be in control of our own destiny. Those those wins against Chelsea, against Manchester United, against you know teams that people didn't think that we were we were going to come away with those maximum points, and to then you know go here, which was this was not an easy game by any by any means, but we also we we did not play uh, as well as we uh, as well as we could have. There was there was not the same fight, there was not the same spirit, there was not the same determination. In those players, and uh, just looking at those interviews from um, from Xhaka and from from Mikel, um, obviously bitter disappointment. But you know, there was uh, there were there, there were a lot of people that went missing today. Yeah. So in the first half, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a great performance by by any measure. But we did make it to halftime without conceding. So at that at that moment, mm. you and I are looking at this. Not a great performance. You know, first few minutes were Arsenal. Big big spell from Newcastle, kind of dominating. Arsenal came back into it, but then really the last 10, 15 minutes, we were surviving until halftime, right? At 35 minutes, we were like, can we please make it nil-nil? Right. Go into the break and and regroup, figure out a new game plan, because whatever we were doing for the first half was not working, it was not functioning. Who would have thought that that, that, that's what we would have been thinking, that we were were literally playing for survival? Like, Yes, we had that. There was a a free kick, I believe Odegaard had just on the, uh, the right-hand side just before the half, and it was kind of this, this moment of positivity and, and, and felt a relief from this ongoing pressure from Newcastle. And like, I have to say, like credit to them, the amount of pressing that they had. And this, is, this isn't a game that's going to define their season in the way that this is going to define ours. And to come out with that kind of fight, I mean, they were, they were first to every ball. I mean, yes. There, there were reasons, and, and I'm sure we'll go into those. But that first half was, you know, there, there were there were two really thick periods for Newcastle, and I really remember, you know, a couple of attacks. But but for even from from the the get go, the tone was set. Even the way 
you know, there was a back pass early on to Ramsdale. He slips, and then there was there was another one that you know went went astray, and we could just see these nerves like running throughout the team. And not only could Newcastle sense it, I think the whole Arsenal team could feel feel this sort of fiery nerviness running throughout, and they did not come out tails up, confident. And I mean, how can you say that that defeat at Tottenham? didn't play into that. I, I think we looked at the side. Yeah, and we didn't. And this this attitude that we saw going into the match is not what they brought into the North London Derby. They looked better and assured, you know, before the, you know, the, the penalty that happened in that match. Mm-hmm. Arsenal were on the front foot, right? They were in the ascendancy and they came out looking up for it, right? They looked like they were going after it and up for the fight, which today it just, like you saw from all different, all different departments on the field, we saw nervousness. We saw, you know, bad touches. We saw, People that normally, don't, you know, El Nenny, you know, wayward things where he's normally more safe with the ball. Mm-hmm. Newcastle did do a good job of, of cutting down space and keeping uh, keeping Odegaard tightly marked or not able able to get out and really facilitate any attacks. Sure, it was. So, I mean, so tactically, I mean, it's as, as far as the way tactics were were put out, not maybe not the way Arteta planned it, but the way it all happened on the field, they uh, they definitely got the best of us there. Absolutely. And I mean, it was alluded to even on the uh, the televisions, like we, we didn't seem to be set up to handle uh, Newcastle coming at us like that. I mean, Odegaard had so little time to influence the game. I mean, you, you just have to look at his kit. He was he was drenched in like mud stains all around, you know, before we went in at half time. Like any opportunity for ha- him to have even to do his his one touch bits of magic that we've seen so often were just negated, you know. He, he, I barely remember him getting a chance to to get on the ball in that half and influence it, and 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 for it, I barely remember us being able to to tassel control and uh, and actually set up a rhythm. Yes, of course, everybody knows we were going to try and pass out from the back, but they didn't didn't let us do it. And when it when we didn't have the time to, and when we couldn't settle, there wasn't a good enough alternative, right? And and whether that comes down to Arteta not planning that well enough or the players just not responding to what they should have done in that moment you know we're not in that dressing room but certainly it was um it was difficult to watch yeah so and certainly the one one takeaway from the first half that we have to mention is the uh the Tomoyasu injury him getting subbed off for Cedric you know this does this does affect what happens later in the match um, you know, starting to have to adjust our shape that quickly. You know, he's one of our best defenders out there. You know, we don't want to have to take him off. Bringing him on, we bring on Cedric, who you and I both agree is a, is a serviceable backup, but has played way more minutes than we ever want to see him see. See, you know, for him to actually play. Yeah. You know, like ideally he would play five, six matches a season. He's played fifteen to twenty or or, mm. or more. Who knows, right? Like it's it's he's probably in the north of twenty appearances. I mean, he's he's been our regular right back for all intents and purposes, right? He, he's he's been the guy that has had to be there time and time again. And listen, I cannot fault the guy's spirit, his determination, and his attitude on the field. He's he's really not been left short in that department, but on his athleticism which is something that you know physically may quite frankly be outside of his realm on this he's not the same athlete as Tomiyasu he's not somebody that I feel is is as assured in in those moments and and I think that's that's no you know there's no shame in that for for no, any anybody and, to say and also in in a against a very physical and imposing side in Newcastle we saw immediately when he when he came on we're looking at the at a corner kick for Newcastle 
Yeah. You know, and they're sending up a six foot six defender and right. the rest of the people and they're all they're all a bunch of big lumps. You know, there's not there's not too many little guys and then here goes in Cedric and it's like, oh shit. Right. Yeah. We really have to change how we how we attack this. You know, Tamiyasu is is a center back as well as a right back and mm. is imposing and strong enough. So it, mm-hmm. it, it changes everything. There was a telling moment though where usually you would expect Tamiyasu to show that winger back down the uh, down the outside, but you could tell that there was just something still not quite right and it. it looked like his hamstring in the end. And just even those moments of hesitation at the highest level, and sure enough, it allowed uh, it allowed Newcastle to cut back in and uh, and they almost score from it. Uh, but certainly, he's not been at his best. And when that back four doesn't get to play together and certainly doesn't get to play together regularly, we've, we've faced problems. I mean, I think it would be tough to argue that when we've had Tommy Asu, Ben White, Gabrielle, and Tierney all play together, we have been not only relatively, but extremely effective as a defensive unit, especially when they've had a run of games together. I think you have the stat there of how many uh, goals that we've conceded per game. Um, I think I'm right in saying... Uh, yeah, and it was... It, Orbino tweeted it, and he said something about with our... the only, In the 10 matches where we had our full defense fit, um, that that's when we were conceding 0.8 goals per game with that with a fully fit defense. But only 10 times this season were we able to play that. Mm-hmm. And that's And that's, you know, those numbers are the numbers of a Champions League caliber team. Sure. And, and when... When that has been the case and they've had that run of games and you can see that solidarity, I've felt very comfortable as an Arsenal fan at the back, which is a words that not many uh, many Arsenal fans <laughs> right. ever expect to hear. But it was yeah. it really felt solid. And even, you know, the, that imposing figure of, of Ramsdale and the character that he bought uh, brought into the into the side really made a difference. And, and we've we've certainly missed something that when they haven't been able to have those run of games. Yes, we can say that having Gabrielle you know, injured towards the end of the last game and Ben White out for a few games, that they didn't look at their best today. They looked just a little bit off of the uh, off the figures that we've seen them. But I don't want to go around making individual excuses on, on the pitch sure. if there's any moment to really be up for it. This is it, right? Sure, things happened at Tottenham. The, the man sent off uh, early on. It changed the trajectory of that game, right? And you know what? You you can set, you can bring that down to, to to individual moments. You can bring that down to the moments that happened on that day. Fair enough. Today, there weren't really those excuses, and we still went missing. And again, if you, if you can't get up for this, I don't know what you can get up for. Yeah, and it was clear if, with Granit Xhaka's comments after the match that he's disappointed in in the performances of some of his teammates. Um, the, the rest of that stat from Rubinho is that we concede 1.4 goals per match. Right. When, and from 0.8 to 1.4 is, is a huge difference, right? In most oh. of those games, that, that is the, Almost will double. Be the difference. Yeah. Almost double, right? And, and so, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. But so just moving on to further other stuff that happened in the second half, you know, we move along to the goal. Mm. You know, Ben White is making a last-ditch tackle, has to try to get there ahead of him. I mean, sure. with the way that Wilson was finishing, he probably would have missed that one off of his knee more than likely, <laughs> but but he, he forced him into the challenge. It was a good chance. They got down the wing. Yeah. You know, White had to try to get there in front of him. That's that's not as bad of known goals we've seen, you know, elsewhere, but it's just really fucking unlucky and on, on the sure. worst on the worst possible day. Right? Sure. And I can't fault Ben White for that. I mean, he's running at full pelt to try and get back there in front of the, the defender. If he doesn't run back at that kind of pace to get back there, the the attacker gets ahead of him and, you know, the, the chance of a goal are high. So 
I think he does his job. It's it's unfortunate, like you say, uh, and the fact that we were we were stretched that much and we were we were in that position in the first place is 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 the issue at hand, not the fact that you know Ben White um, makes an unfortunate error. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the substitutions. We won't dwell too long on today's match because I'd rather just talk big picture because <laughs> there's no reason to dwell on this much longer than we already have. <laughs> but uh, so right before that goal, right, we, we made the quick substitution. Emil Smith-Rowe comes off for Gabriel Martinelli. That's mm-hmm. like the 52nd minute. Mm-hmm. He comes on, you know, immediately shows a little spark down the left. Yeah. You know, starts to create something. We don't really get much of the chance. You know, then they pretty much immediately go down there. There's a, there's a foul throw by Tavares. They get a break down the wing. And that's where that first goal happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we then, I mean, just as looking at what Arteta did, you know, he went he went Arsene Wenger style about going going putting four or five attackers, six attackers. Mm-hmm. You know, the next substitution, right? So you would say the Emil Smith Rowe for Gab Martinelli is a, is a like for like substitution. Sure. But the rest were very very aggressive. We have we have uh, Pepe or we have Lacazette coming on first for Tavares around the 60, 61st minute. Mm. So we're you know we're dropping a fullback we're we're switching to a three five two mm. uh, in the seventy second minute we bring on Pepe for Gabriel mm-hmm. so we're now we're we're still playing a three five two but we're moving Shaka to left center back and and going all out with you know three attacking substitutions doing what we can but really Pepe didn't really show us anything when he came out there he ran after a couple of balls down in the corner nothing really came of it he had a chance that came to him kind of late on where you know he was at the far post and. And he laid it off, and we tried to get something, and Odegaard tried to shoot there, but it was never. There wasn't really anything clear. They had, they had that box packed so tightly. It felt like it was a numbers game at that point, right? And like whether there was an actual, you know, plan other than let's flood as many attacking players up there and, and force them to man mark in areas where they perhaps weren't looking for it. You know, the the congestion was an issue. I mean, there were so many attackers, and I was half expecting number eleven and Sylvan Wiltor to come on at one point. Exactly. But, it was... Where's Connie when you need him? Right. It was one of those that, hey, could a lucky break have happened? Could the ball have, uh, have, have fallen more kindly, especially on... There were certainly a couple of corners that happened in that spell there when there was when there was pressure and just the right glance. All of a sudden, it's 1-1. All of a sudden, who knows what way that momentum takes us and then we're having a very different conversation right now. It didn't. I can't say that we would have deserved it had, you know... Had we um, managed to uh, to pull back that goal, or even pull back the uh, pull back both of them, but hey, it's a, it was a game of fine margins, and certainly I can't hold any grudges against the way uh, the result went down. No, and when you look back at it, think of like chance creation. Like, what did you see? If you go back and look at highlights of this match, how many really good chances did Arsenal have? There was very, very few. There were there were, there was really no. It wasn't like we had one on ones clear on goal. There was nothing really easy out there. You know, you have a. You know, you have a defender. I think in the first half, the only noticeable chance was a you know one of their defenders you know taking a, a soccer shot off his body, going out to a corner kick. You know mm-hmm. that didn't even reach the goalkeeper. It wasn't right. It wasn't a shot on target. It didn't get there. I so. can't. I can't remember their keeper being tested. I, ju- I, I just don't remember that moment happening. I remember Ramsdale being tested a, a couple times, and he actually pulled off a, sure. a wonderful save down to his right. But no, there were there, there was so few and far between, and. I mean, Saka's maybe somebody we should talk about because we are going to talk about these players and and the bigger picture of of this the games of this kind of magnitude and what they have to encounter. You know, some of them weren't able to step up. You know, can you lay all the blame on Saka? No, absolutely not. There was there was a collective effort here, but the last few games he hasn't been able to replicate the the kind of energy going forward and uh, as he had 
you know, earlier in the season. And uh, those are those are big shoes to fill because he set such a high bar for himself. Certainly there were a couple of moments where he was able to cut in. But then I think we've also got to look at the, the idea that he's probably not getting the same level of freedom on the pitch as he was. I mean, a lot of the times you see Saka there where he may have been allowed to have been one-on-one with players before. See, a lot of times now, there's doubling up to make sure, you know, that moment when he does cut in, which he always does, does not create the same level of opportunity. But if you have Martinelli on the other side doing the same thing, there's only so many times you can double up on players. And so whatever was happening on one side, there wasn't enough, you know, quality throughout the team, right, to to be able to back that up. And and so to your point, so now what we're getting down to now is actually more more about squad management and it has to do with Arsenal as an organization, Miguel, Mikel Arteta as a manager and what he decided to do with his squad. You know, at this point we have our highest, we have our leading goal scorers in the season in Emile Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka, right? Mm. And they both got into double digits in the Premier League for the first time ever. You know, these were not proven goal scorers. They'd never scored 10 goals in a season before, either one of them. Mm. And these guys were shouldering the load. So, I mean, even if, you know, when if you had asked either one of us at the beginning of the season, what's your expectation or what's your hope for these players? Right. What, you know, the top end of what we're talking about is them getting into the numbers that we're saying right now. It's like, hey, we've been needing goals from midfield for a long time. If Emile Smith-Rowe could chip in for 10 to 15, if Saka could get into that number. Sure. And Aubameyang scores his normal 25, which is when we get to another problem <laughs> here. You know, then we now are creating that same amount. Sure. And you you couldn't argue that they haven't done their job or exceeded expectations throughout the the course of the season no it's it's the truth they really have and it's i think the the thing to look at there is where's the big hole can can we can we lump uh can we lump blame on these you know these young wingers all around of and i'll I'll say the three of them quite frankly because it's really been you know, it's Martinelli, yes. Smith Rowe, and Saka, and there's been an interchangeability between them, which is amazing to have. And I, I'm, I've, I think most most people that watch Arsenal will have a huge amount of optimism for those those three. There's just so much collective talent there, and even their ability to play together when they're able to string more passes than today together uh, is is exceptional, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch when it uh, when it works. So then. We have to look at we have to look at number nine. We have to look at what's what's ahead of them. We have to look at um, if it's not going as planned from the wing. Um, when we have right now, I mean, it's it's been Eddie. the The weight's been on his shoulders. Another very young man who, quite frankly, I think has done very very well the, with the shoes he's been asked to fill. He's he's come in and he's 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 shown. Not only a great attitude, a huge amount of tenacity. I mean, that guy, he was running down things left and right. In fact, in the first half, if we were going to get anything, it might have happened again. There was a moment where uh, there was a back pass and sure enough, just... Yeah, he went motoring after it. Absolutely. And it could have could have forced them into another era. And so I can't throw, you know, throw the blame there either. But squad-wise, was there anything else that was really going to come on and, and make a huge impact. I mean, Lacazette, he, uh, he came he's, he's on. Washed. <sighs> he's washed. He's washed. He's think... washed and he's out of the club after the season. I mean, here, here's the here's the big problem, right, in the, in the bigger picture of these things is the fact that, like, you you lose a senior striker in January, which is it's always going to be one of those things. We talked about it before the match is the same before as it is after. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to, this is going to be graded on, on how it all turns out. 
Mm-hmm. Now, no one's going to disagree with about with Aubameyang potentially being a bad guy in the clubhouse as far as mm-hmm. you know, role model, professional captain. Sure. You know, everyone knows Aubameyang's not a captain. There's a reason. You know, it's it's one of those things where the guy who gets paid the most and is you know is, gets given the captaincy to keep a guy there, keep him around. Um, and, and, and you know, like you know, Hector was doing the stuff for the league. You know, he was he was the the, the role was delegated around. He was the the captain in name, but. You know, shipping a guy out like that who's gone and scored double digit goals for Barcelona since he's left Arsenal. Yes. It's always going to come down to whether or not you get across the line. So, as of, you know, before the North London Derby, we looked like it ended up working out for, you know, we were on track for that to work out, you know, in our favor. But when that leaves you with only two senior forwards who are both expected to leave the club this summer, yeah. Like, what do you expect from it? I mean, in, in that sense, so we have Eddie, right? Who's sure he would love another Arsenal deal if it was the right one, mm-hmm. and if he had guarantees to play. But who wants Eddie as our starting number nine next season? Listen, I will preface everything I'm about to say with making these comments in hindsight. Seeing where we're at now is a privilege that Arteta does not get, of course. However, this was always going to be the case where had we made top four, every decision he made would have been entirely justified. 100%. Had we not, these decisions were going to be scrutinized. And that's the the game you play when you're in a position of and, and we knew this in January. So when the January window closed, we were like, fuck. Right. We didn't get a striker. Is that going to bite us in the ass? And, you know, every, everybody was asking those questions. And so we look at the alternative of had he said to Obama Yang, no, you know what? You're being disciplined internally within the club. Uh and you're not playing for X amount of time, what have you, whatever decision is made, rather than complete excommunication. Now, would that have meant we had the potential to bring Aubameyang into some of these moments, but yet still Arteta got the benefit of being able to say, no, this is the discipline I'm forming. We, we are, we're going to try and keep you away from these these players and we're going to try and make sure that I, I'm still able to instill my culture. Or, well, well, here, but here's the thing with him specifically. It's he is a very much. It's my way or the highway, right? You're either with us or you're not. It, it very clear to him whatever it ha- whatever transgressed between him and Aubameyang, which who knows if we'll ever get the truth on what the real situation was. Yeah, it was unforgivable in his in his mind. Clearly, and we know specifically. You know, we we know about him getting special per, you know special permission to go travel and visit his mother in France. But then sure. him then after getting this privilege. Chooses to come back late, misses misses a match through COVID protocol. I mean, I agree with him. I mean, I, it's probably more than that, right? But this is the thing that this is the only thing that we saw, right? What's been and reported, it on. and it certainly wasn't the only strike. Absolutely, and it's it's not the first time the, the, the this has been an issue with him, and and clearly, uh, it's also not the first time Arteta has been willing to make a big decision like this. He made it with Özil. I think many people would would f- fail to fail to say that that wasn't the right call. Uh, with with Ozil, especially when you look at how he's gone on to continue to have an attitude, it would seem like that um, where uh, where he's now playing. But with with Aubameyang, and it may, maybe this is a sort of I don't know if it's an Arsenal curse or not. But the moment that big contract was signed, things changed. The hunger changed. The uh, the attitude changed, and um, perhaps that level of um, of playing for your uh, playing for what you're worth really um was uh was something that we we maybe need to look at 
in the future when these the, huge the captaincy seems to seems to carry quite a heavy crown, right? It, it, it seems to fuck up all of our players, either it, whether it's injuries or they're just out the door immediately thereafter. I mean, it's starting with not starting with, but even from Sask to Vermalen to yeah, you know, just yeah, keep, there has been a, the line, there's been know? an arsenal, except, except maybe Arteta, except for Arteta, I suppose. Oh, uh, and and listen, I I think the world of Odegaard, I really I feel like. Because of he'll be, he'll be the captain next season, right? I believe so, and I, and I think he, I think he deserves it. And also, I'm kind of I feel grateful that he's already gone and experienced the mega club and, and experienced the Real Madrids of the world and all of that pressure. And and now you can genuinely see that he feels comfortable and wants to build a home with Arsenal, right? And a player like that, had he been on the ascendancy and had not played for one of those clubs I think I would be quite frankly looking over my shoulder in a in a season or two had we made it into the Champions League thinking okay who's going to try and poach Odegaard but I feel like we get the advantage of him having actually seen that light and and in this case clearly Real Madrid not working out and now perhaps you know Arsenal is a place that he can he can build a career for the future and and he can grow into this captaincy of somebody that we we really dearly need a player like that in the middle of the pitch he's listen he 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 has the ability to be an Arsenal player through and through with the style and the vision he has it's it's at times it's extraordinary right he'll see He'll see the way the uh, the game is going to move before he even has the ball. He'll play that. Uh, he'll play that pass in a single touch. And yeah, he ha- he has that. He has that elite level vision. You know, the thing you only see, you know, in, in a very limited handful of players. I mean, as far as players mm-hmm. that Arsenal have had mm-hmm. in recent um, in recent eras that had that kind of vision, there's only three, I think, and that's Cesc Fabregas, Mesut Ozil, and then him. The mm-hmm. good thing to, I mean, you can definitely see what? the you can definitely see the Ozil influence in his game. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, what we do, what I do appreciate that I see out of him, that he definitely seems to be a bit stronger mentally. Like a, he's a stronger character. He's a fighter. Absolutely. You know, he captains Norway for a reason. You know that. You know he's been doing that since he. You know, as a kid, in charge of all these men because he. You know, because he he doesn't shy away from anything. So I, I I love the way that he seems to have been able to get more acclimated to the fight in the Premier League this season. Yeah. There, there's, and, uh, I've not seen a hangdog moment from Odegaard, right? In the way that right. if the game wasn't going quite how Ozil had wanted, if he if he wasn't either receiving the service he wanted or if the ball wasn't quite like being manipulated the way he wanted, Ozil, there was a lot of hands like up in the air and like ugh, couldn't, just was very angry at the world for it. Odegaard takes the responsibility of this moment. And, uh, and when I... Even you know, even today, yeah, he got pushed around a little bit, but not once did I see him in a in a spot where he was uh, he was feeling sorry for himself. So let's talk a little bit more about um about what this result does in in terms of recruiting. Now, so the big one of my biggest concerns going into this and where this positioning leaves us in as a negotiating tactic this summer while trying to recruit better players is that you want to have the lure of the Champions League. To make that difference, and be like, hey, you're coming to us. You're you're playing in the top elite elite competition. Mm-hmm. Now, being in Europa League isn't going to stop all those all those uh, transfers from happening. It may affect a couple of the very top end targets. Certainly, it's going to affect their. You know, I mean, obviously, money is a very important thing to offer. Sure. So they'll probably still be okay with that. But you know, in you know, Ornstein says we're going after Gabriel Jesus. We're getting ready to put in our first bid. Uh-huh. You know, for him, 
it it seems like a no brainer. He goes to a guy Mikel, to go under Mikel Arteta, who, who he's he, worked with previously. He's worked with, had his best seasons at Man City while Arteta was part of the staff. Mm-hmm. It seems like an easy no brainer. And if you can do that without stepping down to Europa League, it's a sideways step. I mean, obviously, you know, he knows he's not going to play with Erling Holland there. Right. So his he he can see the writing on the wall with the homegrown rules of the way the squads have to be comprised. It makes sense. It hopefully it's still on. Certainly still a possibility, but the, this is a is a big damaging blow for us in a, in that kind of a it's looking a, for a, that level of a marquee signing. Whichever way we slice it, there's no way this doesn't affect top top talents mentality, right? I mean, anybody playing at the the, the very highest level of their their given uh, given profession wants to be able to compete at the top level, and unfortunately. With today's result, it doesn't look like we can quite offer that. Now, what top professionals also like is to be able to compete with the top paychecks. And Big Stan may be able to help on that front. Now, whether that's enough and the fact that clearly the project is going in the right direction. And and I wouldn't certainly bet against us, you know, next season uh, if we do spend the right money to, to push again for that top four, only everybody else strengthens too, right? And this is this is the the trouble we have, you know, six maybe seven teams that uh, are potentially good enough to be in the Champions League, and right now four uh, four spots, and you would be difficult or pressed to argue that two of those in in Liverpool and Man City uh, aren't you know yeah, almost they're, they're set un- they're unassailable pretty much i mean right now i mean the way the, the way they may as well play in their own league i mean look at the point, points difference and the the consistent level of excellence that they're able to achieve although if we are going to talk about that just for a moment when we when we did play them uh not so long ago the difference between playing them at the beginning of the season and and when we really gave them a good go that that game was fine margins two nil i think flattered Liverpool in that uh, in that game, and sure they took their moments, but we were by no means I, I by no means felt there was a huge huge gulf between no, the quality. And, and also, you know, those uh, granted it was the League Cup, the the two legged semi final tie, like that was a we contested that really well as well. You know, the, that was it showed what this team can do, and then Liverpool in the same in those same circumstances showed us what having clinical finishes at the end could do. Sure, because the amount of chances didn't relate didn't equate to the scoreline. Exactly, but how lethal when they did get the opportunity right. and that and that ability to to have a killer, an out and out. You give him the ball, he's gonna score. I mean, listen, Eddie in the League Cup looked like that guy, but sure. quite frankly, it, it it's not the Premier League, and uh, and so somebody that can have that level of just uh, just lethalness, quite frankly, will 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 make the world of difference. All right, so Misha, maybe it's an obvious question, but what, what, if you can pick three places for Arsenal to strengthen right now, uh-huh. give me the three positions you that you sign someone at. So clearly, striker, a number nine, and uh, somebody that can genuinely be a step up and where we've got. I would love to keep Eddie. If if we can keep Eddie happy enough to, to let him know that he, he's got a, a chance to not only grow with the club, but he'll still get enough games, and certainly with European football and the League Cup, and the FA Cup, and the Premier League, I think he'll get games. Whether he'll get the games he wants, I think that's the question, right? And so if we're looking like we're going to lose Eddie and Lacazette is out the door, 
we don't just need one we strike. Need two we strikers. need two, maybe even three. Although that's debatable. It depends. We've got a couple guys out on loan who could who who could potentially come back. But certainly, I think we've, we've got to be looking at two if uh, if Eddie goes right. And so there there we go. T- two strikers. I would then say, listen, Thomas Partey when he's been fit fantastic oh my gosh what 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 a difference it made to have that enforcer in the middle of the park that could really combat people haven't had a player like that since Vieira like who who could really fill that void I mean sure Chamberlain had his moments but in the Premier League I never felt like he struck fear into the hearts of people the same way that that Patrick did right and 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 Partey's been a, has been quite an imposing figure when he's been able to play, and he's 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 athletic going forward too. He's really been quite good when he's been fit, but I think he's probably been fit for about half the time we've had him, or maybe even less. So Sambi's supposed to be his like for like replacement, even though we've clearly seen that that's not the case as far as being ready for it as of yet. Sure. I mean, are you looking more for a partner for for Thomas Partey, or are you looking for a guy to compete for his direct minutes? I think that if Partey's fit. I don't think that's an area we need to strengthen. I think Partey's partner is what we need to be looking at. So, and so how do you feel about Shaka? If only we were playing international football every single week <laughs> and not Premier League football is how I feel about Shaka because he he plays into his strengths. When, when we play internationally. And, and it seems like every other international break I watch, it's like, oh, where's this guy? He doesn't turn up for us every week. And it's it's a mixture of maybe the the occasion internationally, but I think most would agree that it's more about the type of game and the pace of the game internationally. He, he just doesn't quite suit the Premier League for, for, for his, his biggest strengths. Not that he's been awful for the second half of this season, certainly. I think he's actually tried really hard to to rectify the uh the mistakes gone past and there were certainly less red cards which was was a positive but also more than that his work rate had gone up but can we do better and can can we improve in that position and there's I, also the you know the twice and thrice bitten you know <laughs> like at a certain right? at a certain point a player's laundry list of what he's done his his history of transgressions you basically need a clean slate a clean slate with somebody yeah Eventually, because you just can't remember, you know, the, yeah. the bonehead sendings off. Sure, it's been a while since the last one, but it was this season. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's and and that's one aspect of the game that I mean, it's almost it's a running gag, right? When we were when that uh, Arsenal Tottenham game or the Tottenham Arsenal game rather didn't happen and was postponed, I got a text message through uh, showing me like uh, Tottenham p Arsenal p. Uh, as the postponed sign, and then still it had a red card, Shaka, fifty-eight minutes, <laughs> and it's like it became a meme because it was it became a liability, right? Is he sure. as much of a liability? Maybe not, but ability-wise, and uh, and what he can actually do for us at, at maybe you know stepping up a level, I think we could do with an upgrade, and so a partner for him. Listen, Sambi, I think can be. A really nice long-term option as he grows, but I, I quite frankly I haven't seen enough of him to know whether that parte and uh, Sambi relationship can be the one that is the, uh, the the central midfield pairing moving forward. El Neni again, 
I think he's he's come in admirably. He's a, yeah, he's emergency cover. We all know that he's not the long term guy. Right. And even if we do give him another another contract, it's to be there when shit hits the fan and we need someone to come in. Sure. It's with when we have when we have more than likely Europa League football this next season. It's for him to come in and anchor the midfield to give Thomas Party a break, so he doesn't have to play sixty matches in a season. Sure. Um, sure. So you've given us, we're now, so you're saying we need a number nine, we need like a number eight or six. So mm-hmm. we got a midfielder and a striker. What's the third position? Well, this is where it gets a little trickier, right? Because uh, some some have said after today, uh, I think it was Tim Howard was like, oh, Arsenal need another center back. We were like, we need a, a really good center half. And I don't know if that's a fair comment. Because, like, even the stats we brought up earlier, when Ben White, when Gabriel, when Tomiyasu, and when uh, Tierney have been able to play together, I think we've looked really, really solid. Now, but we need we need three good center backs. So what we see currently at Liverpool, right? You have, sure. you, have you have Van Dijk, you've got Kanate, and you have um, Matip, right? So three of them, right? Obviously, Van Dijk is the undroppable, mm-hmm. and you have the other ones rotating in. And so mm-hmm. you know, I think Matip got the start. Uh, Midweek last week because they were saving Kanate for the FA Cup final at the weekend. Right. This is the kind of thing you need to have. And so the I think the biggest question is, right, Arsenal have another good center back on the right. books, right? There we go. This is the big question, right? Does William Saliba stay with the Arsenal squad next year? If he does, you don't need a center back because he's that guy. Absolutely. But it's it's now our, our fight becomes... Can we get back a guy uh, and excited about the Arsenal cause who we've shipped off on loan that many times has now built clearly a very strong relationship with Marseille, and that's a that's a problem because well, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a choice about going to Marseille next year. I mean, like he can he say what he wants, but like he is coming back to the club. It's the the bigger question is does Mark does Mikel Arteta see him working into his plans? Because you know, as so far, he hasn't seen him there. No, and we've yet to get quite inside the mind of Mikel Arteta to understand quite why. Uh, he, he, <laughs> Thierry Henry has been very vocal about why has he not been given a chance. And listen, we don't see what he sees on the training ground. I understand that. I, clearly, he has been tearing it up and has, has emerged as you know one of the best defenders in that French league. Is it different in the Premier League? Of course. Will, will it translate? We don't know yet, but... I think, at the very least, I certainly would be so disappointed if we had a guy like that on the books and he, we don't even get a chance to yeah. see how good he could be. Never seeing him suit up for Arsenal outside of a preseason friendly would be a disaster of a signing. You spend 30 million on defender. It would be a tragedy, no and clearly it's a position that, you know, it's not as if we're growing amazing centre-backs out of our ears. We, I think we've got two very good ones. If we could have him back and actually rotate and be there competing for those two center back spots i think we're actually in a good spot there so i would say if we're going to spend the money that's not where i would say we needed to sure. spend yeah because i mean more. The, the being in a position where holding is your fourth center back right and he's the guy who starts your europa league matches in the group stage sure that's fine right um you'd be totally okay with that but you know now we go back down to we're talking about currently playing with reserve fullbacks in, uh. in all these recent matches tomiasu going off injured again yeah which so, is a worry. Because... So, so is that. I mean, obviously, I think we're all okay. We know that Matt Turner's already signed to be our new backup goalkeeper. He'll be challenging Ramsdale. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who thinks he's going to be able to fight for the number one. Mm-hmm. Um, Lena will probably be gone. Yeah. Uh, Hector is going to be is going to be back from loan. You know, he just won the Copa del Rey with uh, with Real Betis in Spain. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was interesting seeing him at the end of the last match over the weekend. He was saying goodbye to the Betis fans, and it looks like he probably knows he's probably not going to be there next season. 
But also, you know, is he going to stick around and want to be part of Mikel Arteta's plans for the last year of his contract? So it's, that was my question. How many years has Hector got, got left? One more and, season. Okay. And so... Is would, it, would you be okay with a, a platoon of him and Tomayasu at right back for next season? I, mean, I, it, I think I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that. It's just the question of whether financially that makes sense for uh, for the Arsenal board and just letting Hector go for, for free at the end of the next year because I can't see Bellerin, you know, putting pen to paper, potentially being no, number must, two for Tomayasu long term. So if that's the scenario where we're happy to let Hector go at the end of his contract, sure. I think for next season, that makes sense for Arsenal if, 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 it's, if it's okay, as I said, with the people that, that make those financial decisions. And okay with Hector. I mean, who knows if he wants to ever come back and play. That's the big Right, question. exactly. That's, that's part of it too. Uh, he, he, he put in his time at Arsenal. Was, were there seasons that he, he did remarkably well? Absolutely. Was he the player that he was? No, it's not something that I feel a huge amount of you know, I'm not emotionally torn on Hector. He's what. What I will say is that I'd feel a lot more comfortable seeing Hector out there than Cedric. In that sure, position. sure. Like, and and as much, and we talked about this a little bit before. As much as Cedric, you know, his attitudes there. He uh, he was up for it. He tries. He, he he's you know he he gives everything you could ask him to give. But does he have you know the, that ability? Um, uh, athletically, it just I think the answer is is no. And so then, do we look? to upgrade with another great right back uh, in there. Because on the left, we look at we look at, um, at Tierney, right? When he's fit, I think there's no question that he's the strongest left back we have. His consistency, uh, both defensively and even his ability to add going forward, is strong. And whilst Lukonga has clearly uh, a lot of ability going forward, he's a bit more of a liability at the back. But it's not as as big a worry for me because... Sometimes I feel like with with Lukonga, he can probably sometimes there's more room for him to grow into than Cedric, right? I feel like he can get he yeah, can well, become Cedric's a, in his thirties. There's no right. there's you know he's he's grown to what he's going to get. He's only going to deteriorate, right? Um, I mean it's interesting. Just you I know mean, based on what we have and what we see, there aren't there aren't any big rumors about a right back at the moment. That we are we are linked with the Bologna uh, left back, the Scottish left back. Sure. Um, currently, uh, Aaron Hickey, who is supposedly a big prospect, a young guy, you know, got to come in mm-hmm. who's who's 19 years old, who could probably accept being the understudy to his to his to, Scotland you to know, Tierney and yeah. and maybe to to um to Lukonga as well. I mean, then well, there have been well, other. They're talking about Tavares potentially being, you know, then Tavares could go out on loan and then not Tavares rather than Lukonga. Yeah, yeah, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the that's a that's a potential, and you know what? It may do him it may do him good to be out on loan for a little bit, and then so you know, so have would, would a left back be your third then if we were picking one, or, was, what's your, or would it be a right the, back? It's I tell you what, I think it's a, it's also a where mixture. Do we, where of do we need it more? Who it's a mixture of who's available, and one rumor that I will bring up that I was unsure about how this could work because when I don't want to stifle the growth of those three we talked about who have been interchangeable from Saka. Uh, Martinelli and um, and uh, Emil Smith Rowe, but when we're talking about uh, our ex Bayern Munich star being interested in coming back, oh please, it's don't tease me. It's something that listen, I'd always liked him so much. When when it, whenever he came on, you know, during the even during those Wenger years, it was there was a. I don't know. For for me, it was pretty plain that there was a clear star in the making. He had strength. He had speed. 
he um, he had a lot of good attributes. I thought that was a, it was a lot of like what we see in Martinelli right now, as far as like raw product, like power, sure. pace, shot sure. on him. So we're we're talking about Serge Gnabry, yeah, of course, yeah, and and he has now a pedigree about him. I mean, he's yeah. won everything there is to win in the game. He's still an Arsenal fan, which is is very endearing to uh, to the Arsenal faithful, of course. And could you, if a guy like that becomes available and he wants to come? Is it crazy to think, oh, we might just say yes? It's it's tough, right? It's a very I would be an Arsene Wenger thing to do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I don't think it's tough. I would sign him in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, it would be great. And al- and also, here's my question to you about this with him because the way he has turned into a goal machine, the way he's such a deadly finisher now, I feel like he could play through the middle as well. I'm, you know, like like an Aguero style because he's not that big. He's not, well, he's big. But he's not tall. He's talked about. But it. I'll take any of the fucking three from that from that team. I would take Leroy Sané. But I'd rather have Gnabry than Sané. I yeah. love I love I love Sané's elegance. I, I love his pace. But injuries and attitude are both questions there that I don't see the same with Serge. Yeah, there's a robustness so to him. I mean, you look and, at and and we right now there might have been a chance that Arsenal could have been a destination for Lewandowski with Chelsea being hamstrung with all the financial shit. Sure. If we finish in the Champions League. He will not go to a non-Champions League team. There's no fucking yeah, the way. The top scorer so ever in the Champions League is going to want to continue that legacy. Yeah, exactly. And, He's and, going to extend that record. He's and not right, going to. rightfully so. But is there a possibility of, of Serge? I mean, yes, it, it would be great, especially as you alluded to, with him starting to, to play through the center and that possibility and him even alluding to that. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a move that could be on the cards. And, and at which point... Do the needs go out the window for the uh, for the glamour and and possibly even the needs that uh, that could be, you know, somewhat rectified in other areas of the pitch and and so that's where it gets tricky. I, I mean, two strike. If I had, I could say three players. I would say two strikers and a uh, and a uh, and a partner for Thomas Partey, another central midfielder. Um, but if we're talking about three different positions, yeah, let's go three positions because. There's definitely a lot in flux for the striker thing. I agree with you about the two strikers, but give me a third position. Which one is the most important? Left or right back? Based on the limited knowledge I have about the long-term prospects of the injuries to Tommy Yasu and Tierney, I will right now, and the, and the backup options we have in both of those, I'll right now go right back because I feel more worried when Cedric is on the field than when um uh when Tavares is on when, the field. When Tavares is on the field. And wild. And so that's what I'll base base it on. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Well, it leaves us with a precarious situation going into the last day of the season. We're now in a position where we need to win, Tottenham need to lose. They're playing the relegated Norwich City. Not not too high in the likelihood there, but what can you do? We got you got to play all the matches. That's why it's there. You know, we got to go yeah. in there. We got to go in there and try to relegate Everton, <laughs> most yeah. likely. It's, so, again, what a, what a tough game this is going to be. They're going to be fighting for their lives as they should be, and we are now in a position where we're not, you know, playing with this in our own hands. Um, I would I would imagine. The, the the security on the on the pre-match meal for Tottenham is going to be heightened this time round. Uh, I don't know. Where's the lasagna chef? <laughs> <laughs> I I just I can't expect Tottenham to slip up. We can hope some 
crazy thing happens like we the just, Premier We just got to do our job, right? We just got to we got to win our match. That's all do. we can do, and then leave the rest up to the up to the gods and see what the fuck rest happens. Rest up to the Premier League football gods, right? The only thing it's the only thing in our control is to try and get these three points. And is it doable? Of course, it's doable with the squad we have. Of course, if they're up for it, we can uh, we can come away with three points there. It's whether this has broken that team's spirit um, to the point where they just can't get up for it in the same way. And so I'll tell you what's going to be really interesting and would have been even more interesting had uh, today been uh, a win would, will be this uh, Amazon series God. and seeing what's going on actually behind, uh, behind those doors. I mean... It's not a bad season for it, right? <laughs> Is Shaka breaking things back there? Sure. I, I, I think there's, there's, there's no way there can't be some drama back there. And I'm sure they try and time it so the, the cameras are only on for certain moments. But uh, when you sign, sign those rights, I'm, sh- I'm sure they'll, they would have caught a few things that the Arsenal dressing room would rather they'd not. Of course, of course. Uh-huh. Well, look, let's leave, the, uh, let's leave the Arsenal chat behind us. It's been a very tough season. We're getting through it. There's not much left to look forward to to in this football season but there is one big match left outside of the relegation battles and whatnot we have a champions league final between real madrid and liverpool liverpool trying to uh, exercise some demons of having lost to real madrid in the champions league recently Mm. um and real madrid getting through several crazy crazy fucking ties yeah that like the level i mean definitely the the level of play in that first semifinal between them and Manchester City was probably the best match, the best quality match that we saw all season. And I must admit, I haven't seen all of both legs of those ties. I did watch a lot of that second leg tie where uh, Real Madrid managed to get through. And oh my gosh, if I was a City fan, would I be hurting? Oh my gosh, it's painful. And... I mean, Pep, even Pep's words afterwards, a guy of that pedigree saying, hey, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not the guy. I mean, come on. It it was just, again, small margins at that highest level. But really, they could have put that to bed and and, and they should have done. It's just at a certain point, belief is a is a huge part of it. And, you know, it's it's crazy when you when you look at those those squads. I mean, I, I just don't think it's comparable. Like how strong and how much depth Man City have in there, and then you know Benzema's clearly in the form of his life, and 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 good for him. You know, he's he's somebody that what's he thirty four, maybe thirty five now, right? And he's 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 a killer uh, out there, and and it's just you, you get that feeling when somebody has their tail up, and you you line up against them. They're very difficult to bet against when you're in that stage. I remember, and you know, it, you know, it's interesting to me right now, just because like going into it with having seen the way they got through all these fixtures, you immediately think Liverpool are going to be heavy favorites for the final. Mm. But then Real Madrid tend to win every time they go to the final. Uh, and then you know, I was watching that dreary match of uh, the FA Cup final this past weekend of Chelsea versus Liverpool. You know, there's some people going down injured. All of a sudden, you're thinking like, oh wow, like. If you lose these players, oh, Salah is now probably not going to be fit for the, you know. I mean, who knows if he's going to be fit for the Champions League final. It's still a couple weeks away. But Mm. him going down injured, you know, all of a sudden this match is kind of leveling out. It's like the big big match experience. It's a one-off final in a neutral destination, right? So we have a a final in in Paris. Yeah. Where you are taking Karim Benzema, right, the the star striker for France, the most who now, after Salah's 
you know, Casella has not had a good second half of the season. He was he was bang on favorite to be Ballondor winner. Mm. You know, if you if you if you did the voting for the season from starting in August in at the end of December at the Christmas break, sure. Salah probably was your front runner right. at that point. Him and Lewandowski probably the most, right? D- you know, doing the most. Benzema has come on and just been a fucking killer yeah. the rest of the season. He is the most informed striker in the world, scoring with crazy confidence and all that. Um, and how and, can you not take that into account? I mean, these notoriously, those awards have taken in, like what trophies were there yes. at the end of the season. And right now it'd be difficult, especially if Real Madrid well, go on to, if, to If Real to Madrid lift that, beat them, yeah, how can you no-brainer. argue against it, right? It's a no-brainer. Yeah. And, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so here on the podcast, we always do put a little press on our guests to give us an actual prediction. So who do you see coming out with that in, in Paris? Give me a scoreline. Liverpool... Real Madrid, Champions oh. League final. Finals tend to be relatively low scoring historically for all sorts of reasons, obviously. But, and so, I mean, again, my my guess is as good as as good as any because who knows on the night. But I, I, I would imagine we're looking at a 2-1 scoreline. And I... Uh, I feel... With that bit of information that you bring up, which is such a good point about Benzema being in Paris, in his in his is in his native land, it's difficult to bet against Real Madrid now that they've got this far and the belief that they would have, having been able to turn over that deficit against Man City, especially as I feel like Liverpool may have to deal with the disappointment of not winning the Premier League. It could just be one of those where Liverpool's season collapses in around them, which is which is crazy, right? You look at considering how, they've already done the double, a domestic cup double. Sure, and that's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's crazy, like after <laughs> yeah. the success that they they have had, and all of a sudden, does it kind of look like a failure if they don't win the Champions League and they don't win the Premier League? Maybe when you're at the, the, at the level Liverpool are at, right, and the expectations are there. Um, it's it's very difficult. Do I think Liverpool are probably a, a, a better side in world football? Sure. Do I think if if you're you're telling me, and again, I wasn't I wasn't hot on this in terms of whether Salah was going to be fit or not, but if Salah doesn't play, and no 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 no, no ifs. What's your score prediction as of now? No, we don't know anything else about any injuries. We said you said it's a two one scoreline. You're saying two one Madrid. Is that what we're going with? Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Yeah. I got a lot of friends be mad at that, <laughs> but <laughs> but because I definitely I but I before before the recent injury updates and kind of the way the form was going, and seeing Liverpool looking like a team running out of gas the way everyone is after having played you know these these clubs especially teams like Liverpool and City, who are you know even Manchester City who's probably the the one the deepest squad in the world at the moment mm. where they have. They have two world, you know, world class esque players sure. in at every, every position. position. But even them, look at their defense is decimated. They can barely, f- f- you know, they can barely field in a senior defense. Yeah, Liverpool started to look like a team that is running out of gas. Yeah, and more so than Real Madrid, and it's, you know, and well, it's they don't have to play so. in the Premier League. There's there's they a don't. big difference when you know and, the and it helps that yeah they won the league two weeks ago. Sure, and that they are able to kick it. The level of intensity. That the Premier League players are under week by week. I think it, it, I'm not going out on a limb here and saying it's just the 
the level that Real have to play in week in, week out is not the same. And so certainly when they, they have these games, sure, the, the intensity is there on those Champions League nights, but it's, there are a certain amount of minutes you get on the clock in the season, right? And, and I, I don't think that can be discarded. Yeah, I, that's perfectly valid, and that's we're, we're going to see one hell of a match. We'll see who's fit for it when the time comes. I'm going to go 2-1 the other way. I'm going to stick with my initial pick. I'm going to go with my gut where I started. I'm going to go 2-1 with Jota and Thiago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alcantara scoring the two goals for them. Maybe a long-distance screamer or something from Thiago would be would be great. Yeah. One for Benzema. Yeah. Actually, no, no. Actually, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave Benzema out of this since we already <laughs> went there. It's gonna be Vinny, Vinicius, the the man. Those are the two the two men that've been doing it for Real Madrid all fucking season. That that individual goal when he when he blew past after Fernandinho looked like he was rolling back the years and was Kafu playing right back coming in to cover <laughs> and just got left in the dust like I was like my fat ass was out there chasing after the guy right now was was ridiculous. So that's definitely the danger, man. Those are the two guys there. Uh, you've got a prediction for me. I got I got two one Liverpool. Misha's got you got two one to Real Madrid mm-hmm. with Benzema scoring the winner. Is that what we're, what we're saying? Yeah, I'll take Benzema as the winner on the on the other goals. So, it's I I don't, I don't have a prediction there right. for you, but I'll well, take Benzema big, for one big, of them. Big Benz in Paris getting the job done. That's what you're predicting. Absolutely. Well, look, it's been great talking to you, Misha. This is. This is my guest today, Misha Crosby. He's been he's been amazing, fun to talk to you. You can follow him on Instagram at Misha Crosby. Thanks so much, man. Real pleasure, Joaquin. Thanks yep. for having me. Yep, up, up the arsenal. Let's go. Come on, hey, guys. Tottenham. Remember who you are. <laughs> okay, you still have time to fuck this up. All right, and we'll leave you today with Waste from Death Chant. They'll be touring Europe for the first time this summer. Get out and see them. <laughs>